I tell you what, there are many, many uh, things that, are a, uh, that a preacher loves to hear. Uh, for instance, one of the things a preacher loves to hear is when the congregation responds enthusiastically to a great point, amen. So we just sang how great is our God, and God is great, amen. And the other thing that a preacher loves to hear is, at least this preacher anyway, is he loves to hear uh, the precious voice of crying babies. I know I tell you that all the time, but you know there's some preachers that, you know, man, they, they don't, you know, if a baby cries, they're all nervous and worried about that. And I, I, for one, am excited about that because I think it's a beautiful growth sound. I love when I hear little babies crying. And I want to tell, uh, say to our young moms and dads, thank you for coming and bringing those babies and bringing those kids because that's one of the greatest things you can do for your kids is bring them in wonderful environments just like this. So don't ever uh, be afraid to, to bring your kids. It's, it's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. More than likely, you've heard the old cliche that says um, success is 90% preparation and 10% perspiration. There's some truth to that. Preparation is key to many, many things. If you wish to be successful, well, you need to prepare. And so, for instance, you know, our kids a lot of times, about, about this time of year, maybe a little earlier, you know, they're taking all these tests, ACT tests and such. In order to be successful, really, with that, there needs to be some preparation. Some would argue that school is the preparation for one of those tests, but others would say, you know, you need to actually prepare to take the test. And so we have these practice tests, and we have, you know, classes that help us uh, in that regard. Uh, if you're interested in something and excited about something you're gonna, and want to be successful, you're going to prepare. When something is important to you, you make sure you prepare well. And so what would you think if at 8.30 this morning someone came up to me and said, Kevin, what are you going to preach on this morning? And I said, I, I don't really know. I haven't decided yet. You'd probably think I need to choose a different church because you hope your preacher is someone who's going to prepare for this moment. When something's important to you, you spend some time in preparation. Um, it, one of the uh, important uh, leaders, really, in the 60s and 70s in athletics was a guy by the name of John Wooden. John Wooden is one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. His UCLA Bruin basketball teams won uh, 10 national championships in a 12-year period in the mid-60s to the early 70s. And Wooden once said, and I think he's right, failing to prepare is like preparing to fail. If something is important to you, you'll want to make preparations for that. My boys, from time to time, when they go out on dates, they spend a lot of time preparing for that. Everything from how they look and smell and how the car looks. When you're going to meet someone important or do something significant, it requires some preparation. I've told you the story about the first time, really, that I had an opportunity to be in the presence of my, of my wife, Jana. There was a lot of preparation that went, took place preparing for that initial meeting. We began talking on the phone uh, and emailing back and forth long before we ever met one another. And uh, so we finally decided it's important now for us to actually meet and have a date. 
I was living in Albuquerque, she was living in Austin, and so we decided we would meet in a good neutral place. So we decided beautiful Lubbock, Texas would be the place where we would meet. And so um, in preparing for that wonderful um, meeting, uh, I bought two plane tickets. I flew from Albuquerque and I flew her from Austin to Lubbock. I bought, um, you know, a, a couple of, ho- or made sure we had a couple of hotel rooms, spent money on that, uh, spent money on a great restaurant that night. I prepared and thought what we would do, you know, I mean, I prepared down to the, to the last detail. A good friend of mine said, uh, Kevin, I sure hope this works out for you because this might be the most expensive first date in the history of humanity. It was a great, it was a great first date, and, and, and this year we celebrate our 10-year anniversary, so how about that? Isn't that great? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but if someone is important, you prepare before you meet them. If something is important, you prepare before that meeting. And I want to suggest to you this morning that no one is more important than God, and nothing is more significant than meeting with God. Some of you this week will have a lot of important meetings. And yet I want to suggest to you today that there's no more important meeting than what we're doing right now. And so this morning I want to talk to you for a few minutes about preparing for this meeting. I want to talk about preparing as we enter into the presence of God. As we mentioned last Sunday morning, certainly um, we're always in God's presence. And worship isn't something that we do merely one day a week. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, there's a sense in which all of life is worship. There's a sense in which every single one of us should offer our bodies to him every, every day. It's not like in the Old Testament system where you take a, a dead animal and put it up on the altar. No, now in, in, this, new, um, in this new covenant, now we are the offering. We, we get up on that altar every day. We offer ourselves to God. That, in a sense, is worship. And while that is true, I, I want all of us to understand the significance of this moment. What we're doing today is expressing in outward form who or what we value the most. I like how Rick Warren describes worship. He says, worship is where we express our love for who God is, what God says, and what God is doing. In the book of Revelation, as John has this incredible vision of the resurrected Jesus, he calls that day in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, the Lord's day. It's not my day. It's not your day. This is the Lord's day. Now, to the Jews, Saturday or the Sabbath day was a significant day, was the significant day. And so one of the Ten Commandments was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. There was something special about Saturday, important about the Sabbath day. The Lord said you keep that day holy. Holy, And there was all sorts of rules and regulations about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath on Saturday. But I wonder, what happened? Because something significant must have transpired 
Because those early Jewish Christians suddenly, though, though they would meet, though they would have Sabbath regulations after they became Christians, but something happened because suddenly thousands and thousands of those Jewish Christians began meeting on Sunday. And later on in the book of Revelation, it in fact would be called the Lord's Day. I want to know what, what happened. What significant moment? The Jewish Christians would meet on Sunday and begin worshiping. And later on, when Gentiles came into the church, Gentile Christians too would, be, would meet on Sunday morning. And now all over the religious world, Christians of all types gather on, on the Lord's Day, gather on Sunday. What transpired? And I want to suggest to you that it was an empty tomb. That it was the resurrection of Jesus. This is the Lord's day. This is the day that Jesus was raised from the tomb. And now because of that, we gather every Lord's day with the sense that, that God is present. And we gather around the table and we take bread and wine and we remember that Jesus is the host. And we gather to hear the word preached and proclaimed. And we gather to lift up our voices in praise to God on Sunday. And as we do that, we're convicted of our sin and we're reminded of God's grace. And we leave this place with the conviction to go out in our world to serve and to make a difference. And we remember that Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. But the question I really want us to consider for a few minutes this morning is, so how do we approach this day? How do we approach this moment? And this morning, Solomon, interestingly, in that Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, he gives us real insight into how we prepare for God's presence. Some things we can do as we strive to understand the significance of this moment. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's a, a phrase, and actually there's several phrases that are repeated over and over again. It's the phrase, under the sun. And really, Solomon is in search of wonder. He, he's searching for meaning and truth and, and life. And everywhere he looks, he says, it's vanity, it's meaningless, it's just a, a chasing after the wind. And yet when, when Solomon looks above the sun, when Solomon lifts up his eyes from just the horizontal, and he lifts up his eyes and he sees God, it's in that moment that he is prepared to worship. And it's in that moment that he discovers meaning and truth and, and everything that he was pursuing, all those good things, get even better. Because now he's looking at everything from the perspective of God. You see, worship is so helpful in many ways. I'm a better husband because I worship God, because I become less self-centered. I'm God-focused, and I'm learning how to really love, and as a result, I'm learning how to really love my wife. It's, it's when I come into the presence of God that I understand that all those good things are not ultimate things. Last week we described, Tim Keller has this beautiful definition of idolatry. He says idolatry is when we make good things ultimate things. And that's what happens in our world. These wonderful things like family and, and jobs, um, the ability to make money and all of that, they're good things. But all too often we make them ultimate things. And so those things really don't satisfy but when we worship God, 
God gives meaning to all of those things. And so instead of hoarding money or spending money only for myself, when I worship God, here's what I become. I become someone who's generous. I become someone who wants to bless others. When I understand that, that my family, it's not the ultimate thing. I love my family. I love my kids. I have aspirations for them, as all of us do. But that's not ultimate. And when I understand that, I'm freed then to release them and send them into the world and serve. And so, understand that when we come into the presence of God to worship, it's a profoundly significant moment. And, and it should impact us in some deep ways. But, but now that we're ready to worship, Solomon gives us real insight and some clues into how we approach God. And so he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, in verse 1, he says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Notice, he doesn't say run into the house of God. He says be careful. Guard your steps. Watch your steps. Use caution. Now, we often tell our kids, hey, no running in church. And moms and dads, you know, you know, after church service, our kids are anxious. They can't wait, they can't wait to get to their class. We, we say, hold it, hold it. Don't, don't, don't run. No running in church. And in a sense, that's exactly what Solomon is telling all of us. He's saying, you enter with caution. You think about what you're getting ready to do. You prepare for this moment by remembering what you're doing, by remembering that you're coming into the very presence of of God. You're not coming here for a little casual chat. You're not just passing time. You're not merely coming just to see some friends. You're not coming hoping to get just a little bit of self-help and positive counsel. No, you're in the place where the Almighty stoops down to meet us. Think about Moses for a moment as he came, as he met God at the burning bush. You remember what God said to him? He said, remove your sandals for where you're standing is holy ground guard your steps he says when you enter don't take this moment lightly anticipate it and so last sunday morning as we learned a lot from moses and his encounter with god in exodus chapter 33 i ask you to, to pray a prayer it's the same prayer that moses prayed moses said lord teach me your way so that i might know you and show me your glory and i said what can you imagine if all of us on Saturday evening, before we come into this place, we're saying, Lord, teach me your ways. Lord, tomorrow, show me your glory. There are a number of things you may do to prepare for our worship gatherings. You might remind yourself, I'm meeting with God, that God is in this place. Practically speaking, you could do things like get a good night's sleep. Do your best, and I realize I'm about ready to go from preaching to meddling, but, but do your best to get here early because this is a significant meeting. You're meeting with God. Determine in your heart before you get here, you're going to give your very best to God. You're going to give God your attention and engagement. You're going to give God your whole heart when you're, when you're worshiping. Give Him your best energy. And maybe you should ask yourself, so tomorrow, who do I need to minister to? Because you see, one of the ways we worship God is by serving others. We come into the presence of God, and God prepares our heart to reach out to other people. We saw a video last week that Southwest is doing right now, Southwest Airlines and some of their promotional materials, and the, the tagline of that video is that there's a story in every seat. 
And we said a couple of weeks ago that when I, when I come here, I realize it, and we all do, I'm sure, realize there's a story in every seat. We just don't know what people are dealing with. What if we approach this moment and we thought to ourselves, tomorrow I'm just going to be aware and listen and watch. It might be an opportunity when I can pray with someone. It might be an opportunity that I can minister to someone in, in some way. I have a good friend of mine, Jim Browning. I learned something from him, and I try to do this. Um, one of the things I noticed about Jim is that on Sunday when we gathered to worship, somebody would say to him, hey, would you pray for my aunt so-and-so? And Jim would say, I'd love to do it, let's pray. And he would hold hands, we'd pray right there. And I thought, you know, I'm so prone to forget. I mean, I can't tell you the numbers of you that come up to me and say, would you pray for such and such? Would you? I forget a lot of times, unless I take out my you know, phone and type it in or something. But, but I like to do what Jim does. He, he was a, he's a great example to me, and that is, Someone tells me out in the foyer, would you pray for so-and-so? I said, absolutely, let's pray. Let's pray right now. It gives you an opportunity to minister to someone. So he says, guard our hearts, or rather, guard your steps, rather, when we enter into the house of God. And then Solomon gives us, he gives us two specific, really, actions, two, two specific ideas, instructions, if you will, about how we guard our steps when we come into the house of God. Notice he says, first, in verse, the latter part of verse 1, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. We come into this room with a posture of listening. We go near to hear a word from God. The writer of Ecclesiastes even, he continues, he says, do not be quick with your mouth, do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. This reminds me of of the Lord's brother, James. In James chapter 1 and verse 19, where James said, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Have you noticed one of the most wonderful gifts you can give any person is to really listen, to listen deeply. Now, we're a part of a culture of distraction. Our phones are going off and and, you know, we've got a thousand other things on our minds. And so sometimes it's hard to really listen. But we come in this place to listen. One of the greatest gifts we can give to other people is to really listen to them. Several years ago, I ran across a, a study that was done. Uh, uh, these researchers were looking uh, at some prostitutes in California, and they were asking all kinds of questions about what led to that life. And one of the questions was, is there anything you needed most and couldn't get? And most all of them responded, what I needed most was for someone to really listen. Someone to listen deeply. We need husbands. Can I get an amen, wives? We need husbands to listen to their wives. And we need some wives who will listen deeply to their husbands. And we need some parents that that are listening well to their kids. We need friends in our lives that will really listen to us. And the amazing thing is when we come into this space, do you realize that God listens to us? When you read the New Testament and you look at the life of Jesus, one of the things you'll notice in his life was that Jesus was paying attention to and listening to others that other people would ignore or forget. And all through Scripture, we have this idea that God really hears our prayers. That every prayer we utter, God is listening to. That's really why I don't like the phrase, little prayer. Let's have a little prayer. What, let's, let's come, we're coming into the presence of God. And, and 
Heaven grows silent and listens to the things that are on our hearts. And so now when we enter this space, we enter with a posture to listen. Solomon says we go to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. What does he mean? The sacrifice of fools. So often, if we're not careful, we can offer sacrifice of fools. We can come in here and we can kind of check out. And the, the preacher can drone on and on, and we're already kind of, you know, we've checked out five minutes into that sermon, and we're already coming up with, you know, hey, where are we going to go for lunch in just a couple of hours? And we're thinking about, what do I need to do this afternoon? And what about all the, and on and on and on. Or we gather around the Lord's table, and we're thinking about everything but the fact that Jesus Christ died so that we might live with him. Or we're singing songs to God and we've checked out. We're offering sacrifices of fools. Isaiah the prophet that Jesus would quote said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We come into this place with a posture of listening so that we might hear what God has for us today. I told you, I think a couple of weeks ago, something that I'm doing this year that's really just blessing my life and that as I'm doing my best to hear from God in his word. And so what I'm doing is I'm just, this year I'm spending my morning Bible reading time in the Gospels. I'm just reading a chapter a day, sometimes less than a chapter a day. But I'll read a chapter out of the, and I'm just starting with Matthew going through John, and I'm going to start again. But as I read that chapter, after I read it, the, the prayer, the very specific prayer I'm praying is that God, God, would you, would you show me what I need to do or... Or, and, or make, aware, make me aware of what I need to hear. And it's amazing as I'm reading through the Gospels the things that I'm seeing and hearing as I utter that simple prayer. It's a way for me to put myself in a posture where I'm really listening to God. Because you can read the Word of God and not listen to God. And we can come into this place and go through all the things that we're doing and not really listen. Solomon tells us one more thing. We guard our steps by coming to listen, but we also guard our steps by by meaning what we say to God. We've already seen how that Solomon tells us in verse 2 we're not to be quick with our words, but then he tells us in verse 4, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasures in a pleasure in fools fulfill your vow it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it do not let your mouth lead you into sin see all through scripture god takes our words very seriously now certainly we ought to take god's word seriously but amazingly he takes our words seriously and we're part of a culture of many words i believe we're part of a culture that in a in a sense sort of undervalues words I mean, we all have a platform, and we're all speaking. You know, we can all have our own blog or post on Facebook or, or have some kind of clever, cool, you know, statement on Twitter. I mean, we, we, we're speaking a lot. We've got a lot of words. But how seriously do we take our words? A lot of you have stood in this place. You stood down front in front of a preacher. And at some point in that wedding... The preacher will say something to you like, do you promise to love and cherish this woman in sickness and in health for richer, for poor, or keeping yourself only for you as long as you both shall live? 
and you say, yes, I do. What are you doing? You're making a vow to God and you're making a vow to to that other person. You're saying, I'm going to love you even when it's hard to love you. I'm going to remain committed to you through thick and thin. Not just when I feel like it or not just when it's convenient. Those words are important. And, And after your wedding day, it's important to remember those words. Maybe watch the the video of your of your wedding to try your best to, to live up to those vows solomon says be careful with the things that you commit to it's a beautiful thing when people walk down front and they say i'm ready to commit my life to jesus and we go into the baptistry and i'll i'll often ask i'll say do you believe that jesus christ is the son of god and are you prepared to make him lord of your life and i'll i'll hear people of all ages say yes those words mean something Those words are deeply significant. A lot of times we'll have a baby dedication day. Last year, and I love those days, last year we had something like 16 new babies, and I always love as we get these moms and dads up here with their little squirming babies. And it's such a precious sight, isn't it? I mean, it's this wonderful moment of unity when we all come together as a church. And and Johnny will say something to those new families, like, "Do, do you promise to love and to bring that your son or daughter up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and young moms and dads are really motivated. And, of course, they'll all say, yes, yes, we're, those words mean And then we, as a church, will respond and we'll say, you know, Johnny will ask us, now, do you promise, you know, to be a, a support and blessing to those new families? And we all stand and we say, yes, our words are significant. They should mean something. And, and each Sunday, do you realize when we come into this space, we really, we make a lot of commitments if, if you just think, through, think it through, we stand here and we sing these songs, and a lot of times these songs are prayers. You know, we sing about our love and our devotion for God. And I always ask myself in the midst of this, is, is this true of me? I hope it is. Solomon says, just be careful. Just remember, when you come into this space, the things that you say, make sure that you don't do that rashly. Do your best, he says to live up to those words. Solomon says, guard your steps. Be careful when you enter the house of God. Go to listen and to mean what you say. But you know, ultimately, we we gather here every Lord's Day. We gather here to meet with Jesus. I, I realize our worship sometimes falls short. Because sometimes we make commitments and promises, and, and yet, because of sin, we fall short. And sometimes we're inspired here on Sunday morning, and we think to ourselves, I'm going to be different. Next Sunday morning, I'm coming early, or whatever it is. You know, some big commitment that we make on that Sunday morning. But then life happens, and our kids get sick, and, and, and we're stressed at work, and maybe we fall short. But then we gather back again on Sunday morning the next week. Friends, I want you to understand, we gather here on Sundays. We gather because we're coming into the presence of Jesus. You see, Jesus is our high priest. And it's just as Jim read that beautiful passage out of Hebrews chapter 4 a few moments ago. We don't have a high priest who doesn't understand us, who can't sympathize with our struggles. We have a high priest who came into this world, and though he was sinless, understand, he, he felt the tug of temptation. He understood the pressure. He understood all the things we go through. 
He was tempted at all points like as we are, says the Hebrew writer, yet without sin. And our high priest, he goes into the throne room on our behalf. He goes into the very presence of God and speaks a good word for us. And because of that, the Hebrew writer at the very end of chapter 4 says, let us then approach God's throne. And I love that point that Jim made, throne of grace. We don't approach the throne of judgment. We don't approach the throne of condemnation. We approach the throne of grace so that what? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Ultimately, we come into this place knowing that Jesus is going to help us. But we're going to find mercy. We're going to find grace in our time of need. One of the things I do almost every Sunday is, is or every Saturday, after the sermon's finished and, and all, and I have it on paper, I'll let my wife read it. And I'll say, uh, what, what do you think? And most every time, she's a loving, supportive, kind wife. And she will say, that is very good. Now that'll preach. That's a good sermon. I let her read it yesterday. And she had this furrowed look on her brow. And she asked me the question, Kevin, where's the grace in that? Where's the gospel in that? Where's the good news in that? Because you're, you're kind of preaching hard. You're saying, hey, you know, here, here's something. Be careful when you enter into the house of God. All that you, that's all good. That's all true. You need to hear that. But she said, you tell them about God's grace. You tell them about God's, God's mercy. And I thought, she's exactly right. And that's why at the conclusion of this sermon, I'm saying, we come into this space because Jesus is here. And Jesus offers us grace. And so I guess the question I need, uh, I, I raise this morning is, so what about you? You know, you come here in this, in this room uh, week after week, and I always say to you, we're here to help you. We'll have shepherds in the back. I'll be down front with a shepherd as well. If you come into this room, you think, I, I just need somebody to pray for. I need somebody to really listen to me. I'm going to tell you, those, those brothers and their wives in the back, they're going to really listen to you. We'll really listen to you. If you have a need, we can help you with. Some might say, I'm ready this morning to confess my faith in, in Jesus. I'm ready to have my sins washed away and to be a part of, of, of a body that's trying to make a difference in the world. I don't know what your need is this morning. But we'd love to help you. When you come near, near God, you can come near with confidence because we know this is the throne of grace. Today, if we can help you, come as we stand and sing.